Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom is here with me. We've got the illustrious Don Cook. Yeah, you're stretching it there, ain't you? <laughs> Why is that stretching anything? There's there's a lot of fact to that statement. It's a good moniker to have, Don. Illustrious. That's a new, and I've been called infamous before. I think it fits. Illustrious. I don't know about that. I do too. Don's one of the most multi-talented people that we have at DREC. If I ever come up with a question that's kind of related to something that I'm curious about, I typically ask him first. Yeah. Now, don't disagree with him because then you're... Oh, you're feel free to disagree with me because everybody has their own opinion. As long as it agrees with dogs. No. <laughs> no, I mean, I I have my opinion. You're very entitled to yours. It doesn't matter it doesn't matter if they agree or not. If you're comfortable with it, so be it. We're teasing Don, but Don actually is. He can do a whole lot of season. Obviously a top flight entomologist, but he's a pretty dang good agronomist as well. And he could probably do my job if he had to. So, Tom, I don't know about yours. Yours oh. kind of complicated. <clears throat> no, no. Yeah. I, I know he could do mine. <laughs> I'll try to bring that up too often. No. Somebody might, might decide that that would be a better option. I, I, my deal is I've had all my fill of microscopes with thrips. I'm not looking at anything any smaller than thrips under a microscope. Yeah, that's Oof. that's the part I, don't, I dislike the most. I'm not using a microscope if I can help it. And I can help it now, so I'm not using a microscope. Amen. I try not to, but I have the ability that I can if I need to. So, Tom, this is our first episode that we're doing, I want to say current content. Current content's not the right. Fresh content. Yeah. Let's call it fresh. So Post-short course. Post-short course. Yeah, that's a good way. So we had several weeks in there over the holidays and then into the new year where we were doing interviews with our platinum sponsors from the short course so again we certainly appreciate all of those guys and the time that they took to sit down and visit with us but now we're into 2022 and we're going to start working our way toward the crop year still got a, a little ways to go a lot of questions to answer but tom i guess a question i have for you over the last year what's been your most memorable podcast event event that's probably not a good word i think any of the podcast questions when you were asking anyone about anything that had to do with a penguin penguin sitting up in the freezer penguin with yeah a sombrero, i'm thinking and more, I don't, more serious oh, topic oh you want your yeah, expectation actually, yeah, was, no, that was a legitimate question dog you didn't want me to be a smart butt uh, yeah, um, no, that was a legitimate question i think the conversation with steckle probably most timely yeah, that opened your eyes, didn't it? A bit disconcerting yeah, from, you, from, you, from any seat as a scientist. Nope, didn't see any of it coming. Well, let me back up. I think biologically we all should see that coming. It's a matter of whether or not somebody, A, has the time or B, the knowledge to sit down and pinpoint exactly what's going on. There's not enough of us doing some of our disciplinary, yeah, interdisciplinary research. I think I really enjoyed the uh, conversations that we had with Brian Mills and Will Maples, those boys, they can blow my mind pretty quick too. 
I feel comfortable having conversations with them because I honestly think that they're real easy to relate to and they're definitely easy to have a conversation with. Yeah. They're not going to blow your head off with all the economic speak. Right. But they do care about their topic and they do a great job covering it. And and they do at the county meetings too. Well, hopefully we're going to you know get back into those types of topics as we go through the year. Certainly when the crop year gets here, we'll be into kind of current events and what's going on at the time. So what we invited Don in today to talk about is stored grain insects. And Don, we're going to get to that in a minute, but you know I'm going to ask you something. You have a choice of a new pet. Would you prefer to have a pet sloth or a parrot? You didn't give me a lot of choice here, did you? That, that's the choice. <laughs> Either or. Now keep in mind you have cats. Well, the cats are not going anywhere, so your new pet has to agree with your current pet. And he couldn't give you a mongoose because everybody wants a mongoose. Well, a little background. I live out in the country. Certain times of year, I have mouse problems. Therefore, I have cats, to, therefore, to keep the mice out of the house. Um, yeah, no, they're yard cats. Yeah, I mean, they're... Maybe garage. Yard, barn-type cats for rodent suppression. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> For sure. Uh, Thought Don would have focused more on the use of the word eradication. Don't overthink it, dude. I, I guess, and he'd have to just, they'd have to just uh, figure it out on their own. I guess I'd do the parrot because I might be able to have a conversation with him. <laughs> I wasn't specific on the, the type of parrot. Parrot's kind of one of those catch-all terms for a bunch of different birds, but. All right, it's a parrot. I, I guess, I guess, um, yeah, I'd go with a parrot and see if I could teach him how to talk with a southern accent. <laughs> I don't think he'd have an option, dog. Not at my house. <laughs> no, I think he'd pick that up rather, rather regular. Maybe Don could progress into bringing the parrot to work. That's nah. actually, <clears throat> I, I, I would prefer the parrot at work in Don's office. <laughs> Making snide comments to people as they as walk they, by. Oh, yeah, as they come by in the hallway. <laughs> well, as much nice hat. As much me and te- as me and technology do not get along at times. He might pick up some colorful language when my computer's acted up, and, which probably wouldn't be appropriate for a work environment. Ah, depends on your work environment. Well, the parrot then could also narc on the folks that come into your office and secretly slip a note into a stack of things that you only find when you clean. That's a short list of people anyway. I can just about recognize their handwriting. It, it is. No, no, I know. But still, those are those are great moments when somebody slips it to you that they actually did that or they, they repeat it after they know that you cleaned your office, which is always a... Well, most of them don't slip it into stuff they just stick it on that cork board back there there's they don't even try to hide it for those of you that have never seen don's office there's some stuff in there i'll just leave it well it's essentially a closet it's a flat surface challenged environment not to say that my area is not and it's not exactly what you would call roomy it's rather low in uh cubic feet (laughs) tom is it I'm not sure that Don's office is not bigger than yours. I think Don's is smaller than mine. For real? Well, yes. you got to qualify that because Tom's got that back room back there that's slap full. Yeah, that don't, there's I'm not, two uh, acres. I'm not counting that. It is. That Don does have a window. He does have that on you. Now, hold on. 
When I moved into that office, I had a window. Yeah, now your window's a door. That's right. It's a door. And that's back in the day when the B.F. Smith building had a flat roof, circa 2007, 2008. And there was a courtyard off of my In the middle of it. (laughs) That's right. And there were two courtyards in the middle of that. I think that was the smoking courtyard, wasn't it? Probably so. At one point. So that is now a conference room and a strange antechamber behind my <laughs> behind my office. <laughs> all right, all right. We will digress on antechamber <laughs> after we have thoroughly wasted everybody's yeah. time for a while. So I mentioned this earlier. We wanted to talk to Don about stored grain insects. Don, I know y'all have done quite a bit of work with that, probably more than anybody in the Mid-South for sure. So why don't you just tell folks what y'all been doing, and then we will pepper you with questions from there. We're doing a little bit. Um, Nobody's really been doing any kind of research on stored grain insect management in the Mid-South. And Jeff Gore and myself just steadily got more questions each year and we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants and calling people we knew in four or five states away that we knew had done some and asking questions and it's like yeah we need to do some you know as we've transitioned into a lot more grain production more grain bins being put up we have people are storing and holding grain longer for marketing uh, purposes. And this is just a natural progression. The longer you keep it, the bigger your risk is of having a problem. So we didn't have any data from, well, from the Mid-South. So it's like uh, somebody's got to do it. So we just kind of forged ahead with it. So in your time as an entomologist, you go back to you know, even when you worked in Louisiana, you know, so before you came to Mississippi, were there ever any questions about it or, or just no. a random question every few years or so? Just very, very, very few. Well, up until about 2007, whether it's in the Mississippi Delta or North Louisiana, where I was at the time, cotton dominated the agricultural scene. Well, you know, there's no stored Test of cotton, unless you store in cotton seed, and you rarely hear of anything like that. And as our grain production went up, primarily grains high in starch, which is for us is rice, corn, and grain sorghum. Those are the ones that are most prone to insect issues in storage. And as we started holding this grain longer. Not everybody does, but some people do. Uh, we started getting into situations that we're not used to because we've never kept it that long before. Now, the commercial guys like Bungie, um, Farmer's Grain, they have a procedure, but they're, they're used to dealing with this all the time. On the grower level, we're just not used to it. We've always had some on-farm storage Yeah, go back to your you know, circle of, grain bins mm-hmm. from when we were kids and then as time's gone by and like you said there are grain acres gone way up now we have some significant on-farm storage and the structures are a lot bigger too do the problems track with the size of the structure or is it a matter of how long we're leaving grain in there because of the volume that it allows well i can't say that s- amount of s- that you're storing doesn't 
impact things. It can. But the bigger deal is how long you're keeping it. Forever, pretty much most of the people who were, you know, had bins were the rice growers. Right. Just they, and just drying it and moving it out. They were putting it in, drying it, and by February or March, it was gone. Right. So in those situations, they almost had no issues. And if you're doing rice, corn, or wheat, or whatever, and you're doing that, your chances of having problems are very low. Unless, and I'm on, there's always an, a caveat to everything, this year was a prime example of unexpected issues. It was 80, 85 degrees the week after Christmas. I was deer hunting and sweating in it. You had shorts that one day. I had shorts on two days deer hunting. <laughs> I was with you one of those days. And back to this, the rice we had stored here on the station trying to from, you know, harvesting plots and, and things like that, it took us a while to get it dry with our setup. And when they hauled it out two weeks ago to the elevator, we had insects in it. Now, that's a function of the weather during November and December. The magic number on temperature for stored grain insects is 50 degrees. 50 and under, and, you know, the center, that whole grain mass, if it's 50 and under, the um, insect activity is very low. I mean, you don't have any reproduction. They're not growing, that kind of deals. And then we just had this weird December where it was – 80 and 85 for a week and for 10 days at Christmas, well, they got active. So typically that's, we don't have that. But, you know, if we have cooler, our normal temperatures where it's cooler and that grain's, you know, relatively cool, 50 degrees and under through fall and when we put it in or or take it out to, to make delivery, we shouldn't really have many problems. But usually where you get into trouble is if you start holding it into April, May, June, July, populations can just blow up. Just the word geometric comes to mind because they can go from a few to just thousands real quick, depending on the insect. So more a function of time stored and the temperature exactly. in during that time stored. Yes. And the amount of grain you got there determines how big a population you can support too. I mean, a thousand bushel bin won't hold, won't support a bigger insect population as a ten thousand bushel bin. And so, do those insects then track with particular crop, or is it the same insect in multiple crops for storage purposes? They're pretty universal. You'll see almost the same insects in corn and rice, and that's the t- that's the two that I'm most familiar with. But the the same ones will get in wheat grain sorghum the big one is is our weevils and it's the main ones we have is maize weevil and rice weevil and they're almost impossible to tell apart from the adults uh lesser grain borer which i've only seen in rice gets counted as a weevil too and then there's another weevil called a granary weevil that um I have not seen around here, but it's kind of easy to tell. It looks different than the maize weevil and the rice weevil and cannot fly. Those are the big ones. That's the ones if you make delivery and they pull a sample and they find them, the folks at the elevator get ill about that. That was one question I had. What are the ramifications for having an insect infestation? I guess say do rice and then corn, Don. 
it's kind of the same for each one. One is they will reduce your quality of your grain. I mean, they're sitting in there feeding, and the adults and the immatures are feeding, and, you know, you end up with a pile of cornmeal. I mean, that's not because it's got ground. That's because they've chewed it up. The other part is, well, it reduces the quality, which may reduce how much you get paid for it. And if you have, you know, they have thresholds that they'll take. And if you're above threshold on, on whatever insect, they can tell you to take it back and fumigate it. I guess that's what I had in my mind when I asked the question is, is there a threshold, the words you used, I didn't have yep. as good a word as that, at which point they won't take it. Yes, there is. Um, I mean, they can they can tell you that take it back and we're not going to, we won't accept it till you fumigate it and get rid of these things. So do you know, is there a discount schedule related to that up to a given threshold? Probably is. Uh, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. I'm just stuff I'm popping into my head. Weevils are the big one. And don't hold me to this because I'm trying to run off of memory. But the threshold. I mean, is, it's just going out to the whole podcast. Well, so it's I understand. No, but know, it's, no and, it's a little different between corn, corn and rice. But. The threshold per sample, and this is conservative, if you have two or more weevils in your sample, they can tell you to come back, take it home, and fumigate it. How large a sample are we talking about? Is Whatever it- they – that's what I don't know. They may probe it like they would for, you know, moisture and that kind of stuff. I assume it's that size sample. Back up a step, Don. So before we're – we're hauling it out. Mm-hmm. And so say we're sitting here midwinter, January, February. How do you check a bin? And then at what level do you try to take action? There's several ways. There are, you know, traps that you can put in there that you can buy them. They're basically sticky traps. It will catch insects. There's some that are have pheromone baited um, sticky traps. For specific insects or you can take a grain probe and pull a sample and then like this is how we sample our trials and run it through a set of sieves and see what you see about that's the main ways of sampling and so if you're a farmer and you find something that fits on the list that the grain elevator isn't exactly going to be real pleased with how do you manage for that particular insect if you're the farmer because you said fumigate and usually, from where I sit, when they talk about fumigation, that somebody else is going to have to come in. Well, yes, but we're th- talking about fumigation in s- different context. The primary fumigant, and that if you're in the if the grain's in the bin and you got an infestation, theoretically, you, if you had an empty bin, you could move it from one to another and treat it with a what they call a grain protectant basically like a seed treatment for grain to going into storage, going from one bin to the next. But usually nobody has an empty bin. So fumigation is your option. And what the primary one that's used is some form of aluminum phosphide. It is comes in either a pellet or tablet uh, that's just different sizes. And exposed to air, it generates phosphine gas. Those in Mississippi are considered restricted-use pesticides. And if you have 
you know, an applicator's license where you could buy it that allows you to purchase restricted use pesticides, you can purchase that as well. Or, and there are people who will do that as a service that you can hire. Just because I have no idea. How's that applied? Do you put it through, just go through the blowers or? Uh, well, no, you would take, you have to calculate the cubic feet in that it's all based on volume in that bin and look at the, the charts that come with it on the label and say X amount per every how many cubic feet is in that bin or some of it's per thousand bushels of grain. But how do you apply the treatment? You, um, ever, ever how many of those pellets or tablets, you put them in, you just physically throw them in there. And uh, a lot of people run the stir augers, just stir them into that okay. uh, grain yeah, mass. What, I was picturing blowers, but yeah, okay. I mean, they I are a you, solid. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a really large, the ones I have look like a really large gray aspirin. So you put them in there, and then you have to seal up all, you know, seal the bins up, all the vents and stuff to hold that gas in there as it's generated from that. And there's a, um, that's all temperature dependent, and there's a chart on those labels that tells you how long to leave, the minimum time to leave it in there based on what the temperature is. What's your expected level of control? If you leave it in there long enough and it's sealed up, it's 99 plus percent. It's a nerve agent. I mean, it'll kill the weevils. It'll kill the mice. You get enough. You get exposed enough. It'll kill you. But exposure time is important on this. I mean, one whiff is not going to kill right. you. I mean, you get locked up in there for twelve hours. You're probably not going to make it. But three minutes, you're probably going to have a headache. But but it's definitely something you need to be careful with. The the one thing, and I. I wasn't aware of this till somebody asked me and had to go look it up. There is a minimum temperature that if it's below, I think it's 40 degrees, they say don't put it out because it won't generate gas because it's a temperature-dependent reaction. Well, you got to be cold enough for long enough to get that grain mass down to that temperature anyways. I, it, that's... That's true. There's a bunch of math involved in that, and that, uh, but and it probably doesn't get cold enough here long enough to get to that unless we're three to four weeks of cold 20-degree temperatures to really move that mass to a temperature that low. Well, I mean, it's 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And the reason I figured this out, a guy called me and said, uh, asked me about it, and I said, let me get back with you. And he ended up having to wait till it warmed up because it had gotten, that grain mass had gotten cool enough that, he was going to be on the on the edge with it. Don, in a regular year, and temperature aside, but just through the course of a regular year, and by regular I'm thinking the amount of time that a guy is storing grain, you know, his traditional length of time, how often should you check it? If you have temperatures where you figure insects going to be active, you know, three to five weeks, once every three to five weeks. Usually when people find them is when they're loading it out, and it's like, oh, i got a problem. But, you know, if you're into my April, May, and June, once a month would be a good schedule. Don, you'd mentioned in the series of sitting here this morning that y'all do do some stored grain research here in Stoneville. Why don't you briefly walk through how y'all do that? Because, I mean, that would be on a small-scale type system. Yes, uh, very, very small. <laughs> to be completely honest, I'm copying some methods from a, 
friend of mine who were, who's now retired was at Texas A&M at Corpus Christi, Roy Parker. We're doing it in 30-gallon plastic drums under a shed, you know, so it doesn't get rained on. We'll treat the grain with the appropriate rate of, you know, a grain protectant. And we're looking at several of those and then put it in the drum. Uh, we, we run 200 pounds of corn and 150 pounds of rice. That's what will fit. And that's about all we can manage, handle anyway. We have a, you know, control. And then we have one now that we're, uh, we're actually fumigating, you know, on a somewhat regular basis. We, you know, put the, you know, the seal lid on there. If we're not fumigating, we'll have hardware cloth over the top to keep, mice, birds, that kind of stuff out. And that allows, you know, natural infestations of insects to get in. And uh, my technician, Meg Threat, does most of this, and she will sample it once a month. It's a semi-representation of a grain bin, and it's about as close as we can get with with a budget without spending a lot of money to set up uh, a real nice setup. There's some... I think it's K State's got a real some real nice setups with like hundred bushel bins. Even then, I would think the temperature is a limitation. You, the fact that you're not reflecting what's going on in a really big bin. Yes, I mean we're mainly looking at you know product performance, right? And because that was the one thing you know, we for sure did not have anything around here. How do the few, very few things that are available work here? Well, and that has to be one of your number one questions. What what product would I use if this is what I'm planning on doing? Yes, and the list gets smaller <laughs> every time we turn around. Well, it it doesn't it doesn't most disciplines at the at the rate we're going forward. Right well, now. I mean, when you have about four and you lose one, and we are losing one in rice. Store side two has been one of the main ones in rice, and it's going away. If you're not aware of it, Lorsban or chlorpyrifos is being removed from the market. Well, Lorsban is chlorpyrifos ethyl. One component of store side two is chlorpyrifos methyl. You know, related but not the same, but it's it's going to get caught up in that too. Amount of things we have for rice is declining. Don, we thank you this morning for coming in and talking to us because I think not only is that an important topic when you talk about the fact that we're losing products to deal with these types of situations. I think it's important for somebody to continue that type of work. Uh, We'd also like to thank our regular listeners. It's nice to be back doing some fresh new content for 2022. And that's certainly something we're going to continue to strive to do on a weekly basis. You know, keep up the comments, whether good or bad, get in touch with us, let us know and uh, keep tracking down the podcast on your regular download app. Thanks, Coop. You're welcome. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.